Welcome to another Pint with Shawnee B coming to you live from Kinsale. It's not live, obviously it's recorded, but we're in Kinsale in so the whole thing's Cork. a scam. The whole thing's a scam. Here. It's like advertising. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a great legendary art director from the UK ad scene with me who made a great speech today, sort of back to basics, and we'll talk a bit about that. His name's Dave Dye. How are you? Good. Dave Thank is you. also a podcaster and has a brilliant podcast called Stuff from the Loft. Yep. Dave Dye has worked for a list of agencies from the 80s and 90s and 2000s that I would love to have worked for and didn't. Uh, Simmons, Palmer, Lagasse, Delaney, DDB, AMV, known as the art director's art director and a, and, a, and a legend and brilliant, brilliant work. Your new company, you have a new company that you set up. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I set, I set up a company two weeks before 9-11. I set up the next one six months before the 2008 crash. So obviously Brexit's coming up, so it seems like a good, good time, time to, to, to get the set. So Has it got a breakfast angle? Breakfast. Brexit, the Brexit, dog's breakfast angle. <laughs> it's got no Brexit angle, really, but once there's some sort of imminent disaster in the air, I seem to set up an agency. But um, <laughs> uh, what's the... I, I don't know, I suppose it feels like, and I could be imagining this, but it feels like the world's slightly changing a bit, the ad world, which is the whole digital revolution, which has sort of turned the whole business upside down. All that stuff is normal now. So the, the, mm. the things that I read from whether it's Rory Sutherland or whoever's talking yeah. about communication now seem to be much more based on people, psychology, a bit more common sense. Whereas, whereas I think there was like a 10 year period where people just trusted that digital things were the future, do some digital stuff and it'll all work out well. And, you know, really, you don't make money from likes. You make money from selling stuff normally, most companies. And it feels like it's gone back a bit to... If we spend X on marketing, we want to get some money back more than our investment. And the only way to do that is by selling some stuff. And 50,000 likes is not going to pay any bills. So great to have. And they may, you know, sometimes these things are linked, but they're not the only goal. So. And what's your company called? And what's the, what's the angle? It's called Love or Fear. So put out stuff that makes people feel something. Mm-hmm. So it feels to me that there's a lot of very bland smiley ads where people are smiling holding up products that's just you know makes you feel nothing cuddling their children and their yeah, dogs and lifestyle things yeah. you know with sort of stuff. so wouldn't we want to create ads that the core thing is to affect is to make people feel something because if they feel something that's more likely to be a trigger to buy something so the two biggest triggers are love or fear and i think it's quite useful in some of the early conversations we've had you know we'll say it's all Tell us a bit about your business. So what do you love most or what do you fear? And yeah. and it's been interesting that some marketing directors talking a little bit more emotionally about where they're at or their company, not just handing you over a brief saying, can you do that? We've got this. Uh, you're on a pitch list. You know, sometimes it may be that people say, well, my biggest fear, to be honest, is I get fired in six months because you do some terrible ads. It doesn't work and I get kicked out. So all that stuff is actually quite useful finding out how people feel so there's there's kind of that and then there's this other thing which is because there's a sort of challenge on how do you run an agency if you aspire to do really good work the things that we're trying to bring together is that there's a tremendous amount of talent out there possibly a bit older is not being used very much either because you know the they you know i've got a lot of friends who become directors creatives or ecds but they're now directors and they'll have 50 percent of their year free where they're not directing because the life of a director now isn't that you just wall-to-wall no. well, anyone can scripts. make a film yeah. and generally 
ex-creatives miss creating stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a really good challenge, that sort of blank pad and a problem. So the goal is to use the best people we can possibly find for the shortest period of time, rather than the cheapest people we can find all year. Right. So I think the other thing it ties into is that lots of clients now don't want to tie themselves into long-term retainers. So if someone comes to you for a project, you can sort of scale it with the right people for the right amount of time rather than fit it into your, your already pre-existing system and people. Dave's podcast is with the legends of advertising, Frank Lowe and all these sort of guys, and I'm sure you've picked up stuff from them. But I want to, I want to stay on this uh, approach to advertising that you're talking about because for the last 30 years we've been told through Les Bennett and Peter Field and all these guys in IPA studies how successful emotional advertising that makes yeah. people feel something works. Yeah how the ROI goes stratospheric, yeah. how you have to do long-term brand building. And all yeah. clients know this now, and yet we still get people going up at conferences like this saying the same kind of thing. Yeah. And you could probably plot a chart that says the quality of work, as that has become known prevalent, has got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. The risk is when you start a company is you, you think, how can we portray ourselves in a way that everybody will agree and give us their business? And actually, if you're advertising any products, that's not what you do. You say, mm. this is what we stand for. And you make your case, and that appeals to some people, and some people hate it. So, so that's kind of what we believe in, and we'll kind of explain that and argue that and make a case, and then hopefully you find a constituency of people who who say, I mean, already we've had like a very good um, feedback talking about uh, emotion. A few people have got in touch, um, mm. which is sort of odd in a way because, as you say, people have been talking about emotion being the most powerful tool, and it's not like we've come up with anything new or magical we've probably slightly reordered the elements a bit to say this is our main thing you can't work in advertising unless you understand or you're interested in tech but we're just saying it's not the main thing it's right. handy to get to people and there's a lot of good aspects about it but actually the effect you have on people or that you create is the main thing not the journey it's the end when when you sort of get in someone's head or they see your work so we sort of just reordered that a bit really and just Put a flag in the ground. Say this is what we believe. What other people do, you know, it's up to them. You're, you're, you know. So Dave's presentation today was very creative, and it's called Advertising Unplugged. And he has a local deli called Limon in uh, Highgate. Uh, so what he did was he went back to basics and took the A board, which is the sort of chalkboard that you see sitting outside cafes. And for a period of six weeks, he did a sort of a. Well, you explain what you did. It's, it's I, great. Because there's a lot of bullshit around the industry. Sometimes you'd see people talk or you read articles and you'd think they're talking about splitting the atom or nuclear physics. And the people who are into that thing, you look at the work, it's a bit boring at the end of it. It's not like, you know, you hear that very complicated philosophy and then you look at the work and think, wow, it's led to amazing work. You look at the work and there's someone smiling holding up a can of beer. And you think, <laughs> exactly. well, that doesn't... I don't. The pithy headline. Yeah. For me, you know, it's been, I suppose more recently, particularly in my blog, I've been trying to sort of get back to basics and say, well, why not just create work that people like? I know it's like, sound daft, but mm. that's got to be good, isn't it? People used to like advertising when yeah. I grew up. And equally, you know, with this uh, local deli, I thought it would be good to do a really super simple little demonstration, partly for initially thinking for the students to just strip it back to something that was just selling because I was thinking you don't hear the word selling much now you no. hear all sorts of other storytelling disruption and I don't know whether that's because they think that sounds a bit basic or a bit market trader or yeah. you know and I think sometimes people like to self-aggrandize themselves and say no we're a storytelling company not story making yeah making is the new <laughs> yeah. 
the last twenty four hours has become the new as, thing. As someone, as someone said, authenticity is the new bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I took over these boards and thought I'll try and sell some stuff. I spoke to the owner of the deli and said I'll draw your chalkboards every Monday for about six weeks, see if I can sell some of the stuff. You know, you put yourself out there a bit, you're a bit exposed, because if you don't sell anything, you look like an idiot. You think, well, what I've been doing for 30 years, I haven't learned how to sell a lump of cheese yet. So I did that, and I would, Monday morning, pick, you know, say, let's try and sell some coffee on one side, cheese on the other, do something topical, because Christmas has come up on the other, and then something else on the third. Some of them would not sell a thing, some of them would sell a lot, some of them people would come in and complain. Some of them people would come in and say, I love that board, it's really funny. It's a sort of collection of what happened along that journey, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah, and it was lovely. I mean, you, you deliberately made them look like the owner had made them yeah. and stuff like that. And you, you, you had to look humour. Like... And I quite, quite liked about it was some of the ones that were really clear that said something like, we do not sell, cra- what are they called? Cra- Cruffins. Cr- Cruffins, <coughs> which are yeah. a mixture between a croissant and a muffin. Like a cross sandwich, but they had, they had one of his boards was they do we do not sell these, meaning that we're not pretentious, we're not and, pretentious yeah. and everyone came in looking for them, asking for cruffins, yeah, and it had and a big knot. We yeah. do not sell cruffins, yeah, and, and people and, would come in and say, "Can I have two cruffins?" Um, so it's even things like that are quite interesting because I've been on the receiving end of research, and often you think that can't be true that yeah. people, you know, if if we'd have put that ad as a TV ad out and said we don't sell cruffins, and the research people would have said. Well, here are the findings. People were interested in, in what kind of cruffings you sell. You'd yeah, go, well, we said we didn't sell them. You think something's wrong with the research. But when it's, you know, people coming in asking, you can't really argue for it. She's not cheating the research. She's just reporting what's happened in the week. And you, so it's kind of interesting, the humanity that comes through on those things. And it makes you sort of rethink a little bit about how clear what you put out is, you know, It'd to make good. sure it's absolutely crystal clear not to... One of the things about your presentation I thought might be good to do would, would be to go back to her and look at the sales takings for each week. Well, we, we, we did that over what, the period of the time, and it was year on year. It was I think it was 9% up year on year. 9% and year. up, okay. Yeah, I should have said that. Yeah. It's the sort of thing people like to know, whether it mm. worked. Yeah, yeah, year on year it was 9% up, which is pretty, yeah, pretty good, good, you know. For chalk. Um, for chalk and, <laughs> yeah, bare hands. So... Um, what was your upbringing? Where, 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 where do you hail from, and what was uh, your what was your early story? Well, I I come from Shoreditch, which when is when it was they probably eat cruffins there now. Yeah. But when I was growing up, it was um, a very poor place. It, there was no cruffins available when I was a kid. It was all uh, fish and chips and things. So yeah, so I, I was brought up in the East End. And was art always part of it, or uh, when did you get into that? Yeah, I I was always pretty good at drawing. Not amazing, but. You know, I used to draw a lot. I could draw Captain Scarlet and different things on TV. People would say, you should be a commercial artist, a term you don't hear anymore. Yeah. It's just an outlet for someone who can draw. I kind of half looked into that. I wouldn't have been good enough to be an illustrator or a commercial artist. But you start to look into that world. And then I went to college and kind of studied fine art and then got into design. Then was exposed to advertising, which at the time was a very, I suppose, mid-80s in, the, in retrospect was a... Peak era. Yeah. time, you know, there was like lots of people would talk and like the ads that were on TV or on yeah. posters, and it was incredibly well paid. It was sort of glamorous. So coming off the back of design, I, I remember a little job doing um, some little tiny packs, fiddling around with fonts and things, and then you'd you'd go out and see a forty-eight sheet poster. You think God, it'd be amazing to work at that scale, yeah, you know, yeah. rather than this little thing that nobody's 
probably will look at. But yeah. if, you're on, if you do a cross-track poster on the tube, you've got no option but to look at my work. You, know? yeah, yeah. you think that would be great. And another medium that's been bastardised is crap now. Maybe you know, oh, yeah, it's see. a shame. I mean, yeah. posters, uh, posters are doing well again, but what's on them is not good. It they're putting print be, ads on posters now, basically. They are, yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, there used to be a thing that you would say, if you're doing a true poster, you don't want more than seven or eight words, I think, I can't remember which. Whereas now, there's like, you know, you get posters with 50 words on there, 100 I remember words. It's one, like nobody seems to care. I know? remember one for, in England, where, you know, one of the times football was supposedly allegedly coming home. Um, but it was about 300 metres long, and it was oh. David Beckham, and it said, come at the hour. Oh, yeah, Nike, I remember that. And yeah, it was like, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Well, that is that is a skill to reduce yeah. that. I think that's Trevor Beatty, but that yeah. is a skill to to take that whole event, and, yeah. you know, yeah. and to reduce it down to that and to imprint it in people's minds is a skill that you don't see very often. Yeah, yet. I think one of the downsides of the internet is all of a sudden all the sizes and lengths got tossed away and it's like well if you make a commercial it doesn't have to be 30 yeah, it can be, it can be whatever you want three minutes we can relax we don't have to figure out yeah. what words we use we use all the words or what what scenes are best we use everything we've got so that being disciplined and focused in tiny amounts of time is, is sort of gone a little bit your, your things that you found out from your sandwich boards humour simplicity respect specificity and truth <laughs> Yeah, and then you guys fucking knew that all the time. But it was it was refreshing to see it working at that level. A street chalkboard done by a trader still works, you know. I didn't go into it to prove using that, and then at the end, say I knew it all along. I I I did genuinely think right, done those. What worked? What didn't? What did? What were my findings? In some way, I would have quite liked to come up with completely new findings. Yes, that I didn't know, but you. Let's be honest and go, well, the things that I did find is you have to do something really uh, simple and different looking to stop people. Otherwise, they just if it was just words and lots of them, they just walk past. Whereas mm. if it was sort of uh, some of the ones that were a little bit more unusual, they'd be intrigued. It's a very basic finding. So I kind of just listed them and thought, how annoying, you know, I've known that for 30 odd years. But the one that was probably more unusual was the one that was sort of related to digital, which is because I ended up doing about 30 ideas some of them if i focused on cornish blue cheese if it said come inside whatever the clever way i think of doing it but come inside buy cornish blue cheese and at the end of the week they're completely sold out mm. i felt like a hero superhero yeah. I think, yeah. well that's that's me there's no other reason that would happen if you did something more general like we don't sell craffins or uh, there's one that said highgate preeminent purveyor Purveyors. of lovely yeah. bits and bobs that might bring loads of people in. They might buy loads of stuff, but you couldn't pinpoint it to my board. Mm. And it's the same with digital, is that people veer towards digital because they think, the cheese I can selling. prove mm. that my thing, even though it was tiny sales, and it's not good, it's not going to help the brand in any way, I can say, we did that, and the sales rose by this tiny thing, but at least it's quantifiable. Whereas when you do TV ads, you know, sometimes when I've done a TV ad in the past and the sales were good for a car or something afterwards... You think, great, but then the client says, but it was good weather, that was a particularly good deal, we had you know, X yeah. percent off with this, and then all of a sudden there's like 10 other reasons and you don't really know. I found myself wanting to get that hit of, I've done this, and this happened, and that's 100% because of me. Mm. But also, what I'm saying, I suppose, is that's a bad thing, because mm. you then chase yes. the small numbers. Well, that's the tactical ad campaign. That's the ta- Yeah, and you chase the small numbers, rather than some of the other ones might have built other people in, 
sold more, but you couldn't pinpoint it. You couldn't own it as much. And I thought that was sort of interesting. That, that's what I wouldn't have predicted. Finest purveyors is the brand thing that people yeah. who walk by it every day go, that shop's got lots of great quality stuff if ever I need to go to a deli. Yeah. And so you have no idea how many people... Probably nobody exactly. is going to go nobody in based comes on in that board, saying, but they're, going to, board they're going to say, oh, where do we need to get some nice cheese? Yeah. Uh, lemons, that, you know, exactly, and that yeah. thing's in there. So that's like almost a car ad. And the cheese one is, there's a deal on this Absolutely, week. With, with, yeah. with our, so all, all, of the kind of, yeah. all of the kind of fundamentals of advertising are kind of captured they're in your story. Thing, yeah, so I think yeah, yeah. there's a book there, like a, like a slim a volume. A little slim volume. Oh, is there? Oh, great, great. Well done. And it's got an ending. And the ending is, because every time whatever I wrote on cheese... I'd say, how did it do? And, and it did really well. And you think, God, this is weird. am I wasting my time trying to come up with something that's fun or trying to come up with something that's visually arresting? Or maybe you just could put cheese with an arrow and it might just do just as well. Maybe the, the thing that's working is just picking out one thing, saying inside. Yeah. So I had an idea which ended up being quite a good thing to do, which is to just do that, put cheese with an arrow and think, well, let's see if the sales are just as good. And... Uh, Initially, I was curious. By the time I asked the woman who ran it how it did, I was like, I'm praying for it to have done badly. I thought it's going to be so depressing. She says, yeah, yeah, we had another really good week on cheese. He thinks I'm almost wasting my whole time dicking around trying to think up interesting ways of delivering these messages. And she sort of was surprised and said, oh, no, no, we'd had a bad week on cheese. So I was like, behind her back. Yes. Uh, um, So so what what possessed you to, because I mean, when I started this podcast, I was interviewing mainly advertising people and I kind of got, first of all, I only wanted, I think I said to you yesterday, I only wanted to talk to a certain kind of person who I kind of agreed with or believed in what they did or admired or, you know, whatever. So I quickly got the same kind of stories and the same kind of attitudes. And so I kind of opened the aperture, but you've gone kind of for absolute legends, really, as as you're thinking, what, what, what? Well, uh, it's a very functional. I mean, initially, initially, I remember a few when I used to do these interviews written, which uh, they've got a slightly different feel when you when yeah. it's sort of written and mechanical. It's a different thing. Some things are more considered the way they answer, mm. but you lose other things. And anyway, there was a really good director that I wanted to interview called Joe Sedlmeier, who's eighty something. Yeah, I, I said, look, you know, I'll send you the questions and blah blah blah. He went, oh, I'll talk to you for as long as you want, but I don't want to write anything. It sounds like too much hard work. So I said, oh, blimey, okay, well, I'll record it and then I'll transcribe it. So we had a really good chat. He's the American guy who did all the... Yeah, did the, all the world's Wendy's, fastest the, talking yeah, men yeah, and yeah, yeah. Wendy's. And he's, he's amazing. Yeah. He's one of my favourite uh, people. Anyway, so I talked to him and he's a real character and he's dead smart. And I then had three hours that I had to transcribe. Mm. So being a sort of one-finger typist took me 10 hours. <laughs> well, these so, things take me 10 hours, especially today with all the banging that's gone on. Exactly. <laughs> take a while. A, so I was listening to him, stopping, typing a bit, listening, stopping. And what I noticed over that period is, A, it took me a long time, and B, it's so much nicer to hear him cackling and saying, yes. and that was shit. And bl- So there's certain things, if you transcribe it exactly saying they were useless shit, you sort of feel... Like you should protect, yeah, exactly. you know, you feel like you should protect him a bit and not be quite so harsh. But when you hear it, it doesn't sound yeah. as harsh, and Bunch it's him saying exactly. Yeah. And, and he was kind of very disparaging about lots of people. And you think, God, it sounds so much better him hearing him say it mm. than obviously a lot of things die. You, you transcribe it, and it's just a bunch of yeah, little yeah. black words on it. It's not quite. I'm trying to think of examples where, in a conversation, you don't always talk in such structured sentences. You know, it was shit. 
they, they're really shit. Yeah. Fuckers, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, but when you transcribe that, it looks yeah. like he's, he looks like he's got Losing a his mental head. issue. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. But when you hear it, you just accept it because that's yeah. how you. So I kind of when I, when I got to the end of it, I put the type on it, right. and I was sort of thinking, put that as a podcast. I've never done a podcast in my life, and um, you get more flavour from the podcast than than the words. And then just at a similar time, I'd been trying to get hold of Tom McGilligan, who was one of my absolute heroes when I first got into the business. He's Minneapolis, isn't he? He's Minneapolis, yeah. yeah. But nobody, he's weird. He's like, he disappeared and nobody knew where he was. And then all of a sudden, someone from America said, try this number. And he was there. So I thought, I'd try him as a podcast, the first one. And it was a very different... What was his story? Tom McGilligan. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Most of the people that I interview, they're primarily creatives. Mm. At the high end, they're primarily quite geeky, very determined and opinionated is the sort of things they're coming. So, So they all do a thing. And it's sort of it's interesting to me because I I used to do this and my friends used to do this, but it's surprising that people at his level and David Abbott, for example, yeah. would do this, which is that they would study the annuals so much that they would then call out ads to their partner and they'd go typographer was this They're off the top of their head. They would they would be so immersed. Obviously, it's pre-internet, so it was a bit more manageable. Whereas now, it's so much stuff out there. But so Tom McGilligan would talk about walking through Central Park with his art director. And they'd call out ads they'd liked, and then the other one would have to name the credits on it in the book without wow. the book. Uh, and I know loads of loads of people, me included, who could probably do quite a lot of. That's ten thousand hours, right? That's just that's, that's the ten thousand hours. Well, this is the thing. Yourself. That is focus, yeah. and virtually everyone I've interviewed can do that. Yeah, like I had one when I was growing up. I told you I got a job at eighteen as a junior account guy in Ogilvy, Dublin. And there was one copy of Campaign came in from London, <laughs> yeah. right? And they used to clip a thing at the top and the managing director was there and then the deputy MD and then all the account directors, oh, okay. the account managers. And I, I wasn't even, I was so new, I wasn't even on a fucking list, yeah. right? And they'd sign it and date it and they'd move it on and, and it would go through the system. And like, I'd be getting, you know, last January's now, right? I was, and I was only getting paid five grand a year. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to pay 70 bucks uh, to get campaign delivered to my home oh my god really and i got it i got it at home on thursday by sunday i had let i had gone through the entire magazine which at those days was really good because there were lots of really good articles and really good writing and i had it all highlighted and i really jerry moore's article all that stuff and i would go into work on monday no more than they were knowing everything that was going on the uk ad scene what ads were who which is which account is moving and was all the time that a lot of these agencies you worked for were setting up the third waves of butterfield days and yellow ambers and all these guys and I didn't think twice about that. I just went, I need to know about this business I've just joined. I'm 18 and I want to learn about it. And it's a bit like today. Like I, I also did a thing where I asked kids when I was in Asia, because loads of people come to you looking for, you know, how to get into advertising and say, here's five books. If you write, read the five books and give me a two page pressy yeah, yeah. on each, yeah. I will help you get a job in advertising yeah. if, if it's good. Yeah. And over eight, 10 years, two people out of about 100 did yeah. it. Uh, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what why some people are drawn to do that. I mean, I would have been the same. I used to read campaign from cover when I first started, cover to cover. Yeah. And I remember in my first pay review, six months in, I said, "I oh, and I've read every single word of every campaign." Obviously, it meant nothing. So yeah, weird. Shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, well, that means something. I've, yeah, yeah. All those words are now in me. I've learned exactly. all that stuff, and he sort of just laughed. It, it didn't help me get around, but. So I don't know what makes some people desperate to know stuff. And I suppose because when you look at it from a distance, you know, I, was, I started off in bad agencies. So for me, 
it's like looking over the other side of the river at this sort of glamorous things and you think how do they make you know we've got all these crap lean cuisine ads and all it all doesn't seem very good to me yeah well it's over there it's all fun and exciting and glamorous how do they do that so i'd be forever finding out who did it and how and who what's the connection between that agency and this thing so you know which i suppose i, I sort of use today a bit on, on my blog but so i was always really really interested and the same with as you say if you went through all those campaigns it's difficult to, to know exactly what you get from it and how that affects your work but it, it definitely doesn't hurt it probably helps it's just difficult to quantify a bit but also it's a bit like what mckelligate was saying to you and these guys it's like you need to know the bar you need to know what the high yeah. bar that you have to hit and that was a high bar back then where like you would come home from work i come home from work and news at 10 would be on and there would be fucking you know pretty poly and audi and all this stuff from yeah. you know and levi's and all this stuff and i'm going like the, and this was real you wouldn't get one of those a year i mean even john lewis you know which everyone turns themselves upside down over yeah. grand but like that would have been just yeah. par you know that would not be a you know eagle you tried it a couple of times what did you learn when you were looking over to see what was making successful agencies because you obviously um, my view is you learn how not to do things yeah. <laughs> when you're in big agencies I've got a bigger though. list of what not to do than yeah, what same. to do yeah. um, what did I learn it's difficult to say but what, what I did notice is that you know there would be contemporaries of mine that would start in BBH or GGT or some of the good agencies at the time and they had systems they had Dave Trot deciding whether it was good or bad they'll have Hegarty suggesting art direction or different people and, and all sorts of unnamed people that would make things happen. They'd have a traffic system that was built around getting better photographers than you could afford because they had a good name. You know, there'd be a whole bunch yeah. of benefits around it. And often those people who started there would do pretty well in the beginning. They'd go somewhere else and then you'd never hear of them again. The, you know, a lot of the good agencies then, probably the same now, it's sometimes hard to do a bad ad because there's lots of structures in place that means it bounces around through yeah. good people who change things and say don't use that director that's ridiculous let's use him and at the end of it you sometimes don't know or you don't appreciate that or you don't know when you're just looking at what they're doing you think well you're constantly questioning well why is that so much better than there's such a gulf why is that so you're thinking about it more it's a good answer because I could I could equally hear someone going, well, it's about culture and, and foosball tables and slides and beanbags and shit like that, which is absolutely not true. Yeah. What yeah. else? Who else was really, you know, don't meet your heroes? Who did? Who, 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 you well, know? To be honest, they've all been. Not, I, I, there's none none that have been um, that I wouldn't have wanted. To, I mean, it, it's a really nice thing to do because I, I can phone up anyone who I like, and I only only really talk to people who I admire. Yeah. And say. Do you want to do a podcast? So it's amazing for me to get someone like Frank Lowe. Yeah, I know. Uh, get him in a tiny little studio that was we were about ten inches away from each other. It was a slightly yeah. weird, claustrophobic thing. And then just ask him every question I could think of for about three hours. I'm not asking them as someone trying to put out something. I'm asking them because I want to know the answer. You know, I'm genuinely interested in how the hell would you sell. So what uh, was so Frank was a, Frank was CDP. He was a suit yeah. and the sort of guy. And I, I worked with Ian Beatty out in, out yeah, in Singapore, yeah, yeah. and there are a lot of these guys who they prefer the agency to fail with them and succeed without them. And Frank felt a bit like that kind of a guy. Was that was that true? He, he would sorry, say again. He would. There's some people that prefer would prefer the business to fail with them rather than succeed without them. You know, when they leave or whatever. Or maybe it's still the way around. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know really. I mean, I mean what was it? What was the what, what did you find out about, say, just take him as an example? What Was, it, what, was well, there the, anything The biggest takeaway that I had with him is just how unbelievably confident in his own opinion 
he was. You could just see how he, you know, one of the hardest bits in advertising is is not so much doing the work, but it's persuading someone to run it yeah. in the right form. You know, so there's tons of great scripts and posters and all sorts of things all over the floors of agencies that don't go anywhere. But actually making them and getting in a bit of extra budget to get Frank Budgin or whoever yeah. the, you know, the director of the day is or the photographer is a big part of the success of that campaign. And he, even now, I don't know, he's probably 76 and I would yeah. ask him certain questions and he would be, look at me incredulously, I'd say, well, how would you get a tour of suet puddings, tiny little silly company, to afford Irving Penn to shoot their ads? It's just they surely haven't got that money. And rather than saying, that's right, but what we thought, he went, well, why would you not get Irving Penn? Yeah. If you can get Irving Penn... You have to get Irving Bennett. So you look at me like I was an idiot. You know, why would you not do that? If you've got that chance and you look at their media budget and blah, 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 then spending £100,000 on two pictures makes total sense. And he was almost incredulous, and it sort of makes you question yourself a bit. Somebody told me, who used to work with them at college, that they'd been to a couple of client meetings with them and some work was presented and the client said, oh, I'm really not sure about this. I think we may have to go again. And he said to him, Frank said, look them in the eye and said, so let me get this straight. So you're so confident in your opinion that you're willing to deprive your company of this campaign, which we believe will make them more successful, which will make them more financially stable, which will mean they'll need to employ more people from the area. Shareholders of the and they will last longer and the shareholders will. So you're so 100% convinced in your opinion that you're going you're gonna to trash this campaign and go again. And because he was so... <laughs> Full on, that he'd look Don at them Draper. straight it's in Don the Draper. eye. Mm. But he's real, Frank. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and they would genuinely always fold because they'd yeah. think, Yeah, what do I fucking know? Beatty did that, Beatty did that with airlines and stuff like that. I mean, also the craft, you know, when you talk about great directors, I mean, I remember I still use it in a lot of my presentations, especially when I'm for different reasons now. But there was a, a there was an, an ad that probably didn't trouble many award juries called Future Thoughts for Orange, which was WCRS. Oh, yeah, it was good. That, yeah. And it was Orange's point of view on the future. And the future yeah. email will make the written word thing of the past. In the yeah, future, yeah. we all need to play in the wind and rain and computer games with us. And it was kind of a cliched copy, but they bring in Ridley Scott to do it. And yeah. the thing is magnificent Absolutely, and goosebumpy yeah. Yeah. and still relevant. Like it was made probably in... Yeah, I'm going to guess ago. 1998 or something. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, 20 years ago. And you go and you look at it to this day and it's and it's also been right. You yeah, know, it's also been fucking yeah. right. It was before mobile yeah. phones. It was before all yeah. these things. And, you know, I, I show that because I, again, I go, the, the, you know, what, what can look and, and that could have been done terribly cheesy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Most but things, when someone yeah. comes in and just takes it and just yeah. goes and, you know, you, you can really go yeah. It gives you that sort of goosebump thing. Right? Well, I, I think that, you know, people underestimate the value of paying double for Ridley Scott than they could have got something. I've no idea what they paid, but I put money on the fact that he probably came in, got someone to research what is the most likely things to happen in the future, where's it going? He's got Blade Runner and probably thought some of these seem cliched. You know, why don't we pay someone to research this from MIT? Why don't we do that? I don't know that that happened, but that's the kind of thing that good directors do. They make a few adjustments and inputs that other normal directors wouldn't do and then all of a sudden it feels believable and insightful rather than a cliched load of old nonsense so the way they shape these kind of things is disproportionate certainly to the media budget so you know they may have spent 10 million on media and the difference might have been we could spend 300,000 getting director x who's 
pretty good, or we could spend 500,000 getting Ridley Scott. In the grand scheme of the things, when you add up the two bills, you get so much more by getting the real top end of people, but it's harder and harder to get well, those people. Well, then there's people. also, I had Theo Delaney on the podcast, and this, <laughs> he worked with uh, Tony Kay back in the yeah. early days of Tony Kay, and like, you know, the stories you heard about Tony Kay, but the work that you see, I mean, Absolutely, Tested yeah. for the Unexpected is probably my favourite out of all time. Now, it was kind of ridiculed at the time, but when you look at that now, and you go, that is yeah, magnificent, you know? Yeah. And that bit of the business where, you know, the only, st- you you even referenced it today in your in your talk, the only times they seem to front up is if there's a rugby sponsorship or a fucking, you know, here's the charity that we're doing for whatever it is. And, and, and they use words like selling. We have to, like P&G, I worked in P&G yeah, for 10 yeah. years. You have to show a guy shaving. And I'm like going, every man knows how to fucking shave, okay? Yeah. And you need to be bringing something more to the party because you have a bit, and they're, they're trying to badly now. I mean, they're just they're just stumble bumming their way through this because the idea of having that kind of we are four men kind of thing is not a built, in, built no, no, into no, the brand. That's, uh... It's a bit like if Nike spent every ad cutting open a pair of shoes and showing you what it's made of, yeah. right? And back to the point about this cognitive dissonance, we're, we're blue in the face, clearly. It's not like we're just going, we want to do a bit of creative no, work no, here. It's, not, yeah. it's clearly demonstrated. Yeah. Are they afraid? I don't know. They talk to each other all the time. One of the other things that's, that's happened is all the budgets have come collapsing down mm. with, with the divergence of, you know, the, there's so many channels now and people feel like they have to have something in each, you know. And also there's a trust issue. You, you didn't used to do make commercials with um, treatments. So it used to be that when you wanted a director you went to the best director to see whether he's available and that was it whereas now what they've got to do is they've got to have a treatment so when you do a treatment you think well if we deviate too much from the script we're not going to get it so you're treating the script rather than having a view on it having a bigger view now the treatments are generally shots from the web from other people's work that they couldn't achieve so there's no breathing room so the things like the Tony K what would be the you know if he did a treatment for Dunlop tested for that he wouldn't have got the job because if, there's probably no frame in the end film that's probably like the script. Well, they had storyboard writers, so they probably. Yeah. I, I could imagine the big fat man like on a on a thing with more ball bearings on a script probably, or story. Probably not. You know, probably not. Because he's much more about feeling, and let's. Yeah. It's gone a bit flat. Let's get you know that fat guy and painting silver. silver. I don't know. You know. He, yeah. But there's a bit more feeling what's happening, and that used to be the case more that that, that people would react to the way the shoot's going and then think let's try this let's try that whereas it's so buttoned down financially and because there's a treatment for you know a drawing of every page and how it will be color it will be what this it will be that there's no room to there's no room for creativity often it's just execute this and that doesn't help when you make a commercial most of it is theory you know you write something on paper and then when you see the actors go through it sometimes you think it's not as good no. as you thought or it's slightly different or actually that seems funnier than it did you know and it's good to think of it as a live thing that you work with and try and improve as best it can but a lot of that has been knocked out of it you know there are clients somewhere who get this and go you know we're going to do this now we're going to do it for three or fucking you know something mundane that's actually going to like the Cadbury Gorilla story but the Cadbury Gorilla is now 15 years old I mean yeah, people no, still absolutely. dining out on it I mean it was, yeah. and that was a fluke as well I mean they yeah. were that well, that scan. didn't sound good as a script, you know. No. To me, I remember the MD of Fallon saying, we've got this really good script. And you think, what's that? That's nothing at all, is it? Yeah. What is it again? The gorilla plays the drums. 
to that song, quite funny. And then what is it? The end? What's the? Oh, just you know, Cadbury's. It's like whatever the thing was. Yeah. It's joy. And yeah. It was a big, huge thing. But what else did you learn? Give us one more story yeah. before one you go. One more story from my podcast. Yeah, or from people that you met like that. Um, got loads and loads of. I'm just trying to think. I don't know. I mean, there's very few of them that I record that I don't come away with some sort of nourishment and mm. perspective. That's you know, I mean, I pick really good people, so I should do. They're all people that I grew up with. Generally, unbelievably competitive, a bit nerdy. You know, they really go into stuff. I mean, it's interesting. Some of them will get back and say, "Just listen to it." And there's where I say whatever it is. I wrote the copy. I slur those words to together. Could we re-record that? And you think, really? What? Just that? There's like three hours of tape. Just that. And then, and you think, well, if you want to do it, you know. And he'll go in, and he'll go. Oh, I feel better. Now. And, you know, it's a slightly nerdy. Yeah. Perfectionist, almost, you know, spectrum level yeah. focus. The thing about that is, where is the line then? Yeah. I let that pat, you know, I let that slide. But this is it. And obviously, the line, you know, the more you let slide, it yeah, gets lower exactly. and lower. And you think, and then you um, end up burping throughout, but that's fine, you know. Yeah, that's let it go. So um, they do share similar characteristics. They're all very clear what they think. Uh, they're generally, I would say, they're generally quite nice. You know, there's a certain level of when you have a, yeah. a level of success where you chill out a bit and you don't feel that you have to be justifying yourself all the time. Mm. The other thing I, I noticed that, you know, I used to notice when I judge awards is that the people occasionally on the awards juries, there'd be someone who hasn't won many yeah. awards and they would be really the opposite of generous, whatever that word is. Mean? They, they, well, they would just not want to award anything. Yeah. So you'd think, God, why, what's... That's just DNA-D, though, right? Uh, mainly dna <laughs> joking, joking, No, but, joking. Mate, but what I'm saying is because they hadn't won much, they wouldn't want to give anything because they didn't have oh, anything. Right. Whereas when you've won a certain amount, you think, yeah, let's encourage people. Let's give but them that. But giving give a 2,000 go line oh, yeah, or something, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That I mean, you ridiculous. could use it as a doorstop. You don't need it anymore. Well, you, <laughs> so one of the benefits of awards are that it brings a little bit of fame on the individual, which helps you get more money possibly another job, possibly become more senior. But because there's now so many, it's hard to know who's consistently good because there's so many that no names are popping up every year. So people will say the John Lewis commercial is good every year, but the names attached to it seem to forever change. And it's not yeah. the teams that you go year in, year out, you know, Tom mm. and Walter or Richard and Andy or whatever have sort of done this year, they've done this and the year before yeah. they did that, the year before you could see a career emerge and it seems a bit more scattergun now and teams don't get the same level of uh, light shone on them because there's there's too many Dave's new book is called Advertising Unplugged where you can read all about the fun he had with those uh, chalkboards outside Le Mans Deli what I love most about you is I've got quite jaundiced and tired of trying to Sisyphe and like push the concept of doing great work up a hill and keep rolling back down keep your your passion and keep your uh, love for the game very kind, for very enjoyable. On. Thank Thanks you. For Thanks for Pleasure. Cheers, Pleasure. Oh, and don't forget, stuff from the Lofts podcast. Listen to it. Rate it. Very good. Thank you. Ciao.